Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Well, we're going, we don't need Rose. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I am your father. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, it's, it's been a few weeks since we got together to record, so uh, how's everything over on your side of the big pond? It's all good here. The weather's going nice. It's still a bit chilly, but uh, welcome back from your vacation, I believe is what they say over there. That is what they say, yes. Thank you. <laughs> I did have a nice vacation with my family. We had a good time. Yeah, and it's also, uh, I think it ties in quite nicely with the films we've selected this evening. That's right. That's right. It does. Absolutely. Why don't you tell people what films they are, maybe, and, and how they tie into my well, vacation? <laughs> Mike, Mike and his wife took the family to Disney World, so we'll be doing a Disney movie in the shape of Dumbo. Yep. And he came back to Earth with a bump, so we'll be doing Gravity. Yes, Gravity. That's, that should be a fun one. I'm excited about that, for sure. Yeah, it's, and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And we'll be doing the top 10 films of 1951. Yeah, yeah, good year. Some interesting stuff. Uh, as usual, some glaring omissions in my uh, viewing, but we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah, there's quite a few films which I hadn't seen, which I should have seen, but uh, there's quite a good mix of films, though. There was a, a lot of good movies. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to see how our lists align or don't align in this case. Yeah, I think it could be all over the place. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we shall see. All right, well, why don't we jump into things then with the 1941 Disney classic, Dumbo. Yes, let's do it. We will believe... An elephant can fly. That's right. All right. So, uh, so Dumbo, the story goes like this. Mrs. Jumbo is an elephant in the circus. Her baby elephant, Jumbo Jr., is made fun of because of his huge ears, and the other circus animals call him Dumbo. When Mrs. Jumbo gets mad at the other elephants for teasing Dumbo, she's locked up and declared mad. Circus Mouse Timothy Q. Mouse takes it upon himself to become Dumbo's mentor and friend while his mom is locked up. Dumbo is made the centerpiece of the elephant pyramid, but trips on his ears and is relegated to becoming a clown. After an accidental ingestion of champagne results in hallucinations that include some pink elephants, Dumbo and Timothy wake up in a tree. Timothy realizes that Dumbo can fly using his big ears, and with the help of a magic feather, which helps Dumbo overcome his reticence, they learn to fly. Dumbo debuts the trick at the circus, and despite losing his feather, which he realizes he can fly without, he becomes a star performer. And the film ends with Dumbo and his mom reunited and living in a posh, high-end circus trailer. And that is Dumbo in a nutshell. Oh, very good. Nutshell. Yeah, peanuts. I, I just yeah, realized that, yeah. you know, elephants like, like those nuts, so. Very nice. No, no, <laughs> that's, uh, that's good. It was a Dumbo, I think with lots of... Uh... Disney films. I mean, I, I loved them as a kid, but uh, I think Dumbo was always one of the weaker ones for me, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody knows I'm a big Disney fan, but I will say that Dumbo is also one of my lesser favorite Disney films. I mean, I, I do like it, that, but to me, it's one of the ones where there are parts of it that I really like and parts of it that I'm kind of like, Meh, okay, you know, so it's, it yeah, doesn't yeah. add up to one of my favorite films. But, uh, you know, I figure eventually we're going to work our way through all the Disney movies that don't have sequels. So may as well squeeze Dumbo in now while we can, right? Yeah, definitely. And for some people out there, there will be, we do know lots of these Disney animated films had director DVD sequels, but they don't really count. Yeah, we're discounting. I can't remember if Dumbo was one of them or not, um, but we are discounting all of those. If it wasn't a, a real theatrical sequel, then it doesn't count. Yeah, but uh, I think uh, I think the main problem is the story's very slight and Dumbo doesn't actually say anything. Right. Yeah, well, that can, I can see how that might color your opinion of it, Phil. But let's jump into our endings. Why don't you go ahead and kick things off with your day after? Okay, then. Well, news of a flying elephant spreads like wildfire. It makes all the papers and people flock to see the young elephant. Wherever they go, there are crowds waiting for them. Dumbo gets more confident in his abilities and his routine gets better and better. He's soon able to take off, fly wherever he wants. He gets stronger. He can do amazing things and the stunts get more and more complicated. And Timothy Mouse is there making sure he gets the best deals and his mum's there cheering him on. However, at their latest stop, the train is greeted by some men in black suits. And that's my day after. Oh, interesting. 
I'm I'm actually quite anxious to see where this goes. <laughs> oh, where will it go? Is Dumbo an alien? To... Is it the Men in Black? I don't know. We're going to find out. Yeah, you're going to have to find out. So what about your day after? All right. Well, uh, it starts off a little similar. So Dumbo becomes a national sensation, becoming a regular fixture in the newsreels at the cinemas and front page news in newspapers across the nation. Meanwhile, in a seedy house in New Jersey, a photo of Dumbo with Timothy Mouse catches the attention of one Arthur J. Mouse, known to his friends as Artie. Artie is a low-level con man and also the estranged twin brother of Timothy Q. Mouse. Seeing his brother living the high life gives Artie an idea. He hops on a plane to Los Angeles where the circus has set up shop for a few months and begins to hatch his diabolical plan. Uh Uh-oh, it's the evil twin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, damn you, evil twin. But you know what I realized? I realized that I don't, I've never done an evil twin storyline that I can remember so far. So I thought, you know, it's about time. Why not? Yeah, I don't think we've actually done any evil Yeah, twin. so this seemed like a good opportunity to bring an evil twin into things. It's good and it does make sense. Yeah. You know, like it. it's, it's a cartoon about a flying elephant and a mouse. I don't think there's a lot off the table. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, really, I think anything goes here. Oh, that's a good job, then. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, great. Well, uh, take us through your immediate aftermath. Okay, you might not like this. Uh-oh. Uh, it turns out that the men in black suits work for a secret department of the U.S. military complex. And through a large payment to the circus, they obtain a sample of Dumbo's blood. They leave, and nobody's sure quite what they wanted the blood for. However, a few weeks later, a fire started the circus under mysterious circumstances, and many of the animals, sadly including Dumbo's mother and Timothy the mouse, are killed. Dude. I know. It's dreadful, isn't it? Like, like Disney doesn't kill enough of their characters' mothers. Now you have to do it. Uh, well, it wasn't me. It was the Man in Black. <laughs> okay. uh, but, but nobody knows what happened to Dumbo. Mm. And that's my immediate aftermath. Ooh, I'm intrigued. Mm. I, I like it. I'm very curious to see where this goes now. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that uh, Dumbo's mother and Timothy had to die. Well, listen, I'm a little broken up about Timothy. I mean, I expect a Disney character's mom to die in a Disney movie yeah, or sequel, yeah. so that I can forgive you for, but. All right, it's okay. Listen, he you just, gotta, he just he just couldn't get away from the fire. I understand. Listen, sometimes this happens when you're creating your art. Sometimes characters suffer. Yeah, it was quick. It was quick for him, though. That's good. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, what about your immediate aftermath? All right. Well, after arriving in L.A., Artie sneaks into the circus and, with the help of a couple of hired rats from the L.A. rodent mafia scene, abducts Timothy Q. Mouse. He takes his clothes, and in Timothy's outfit, he looks just like Dumbo's best friend. Then he heads off to Dumbo's trailer. When he gets there, he pretends to be Timothy and says to Dumbo, Say, kid, I think it's time we blow this popsicle stand. We should move on to bigger and better things. Did I ever tell you that my cousin is Mickey Mouse? I just talked to him the other day, and he said he could get you a gig in the movies. Think about it, kid. Fame, fortune, your name up in lights. I'd be happy to set it all up for you for, say, 30% of your income. What do you say, kid? Dumbo is hesitant at first, but the more Artie plies him with tales of celebrity success, the more Dumbo falls in love with the idea. Finally, he agrees to go with Artie and leave the circus. That's where we'll leave it for now. Poor dumb Dumbo. <laughs> yeah, he's not, uh, you know, he's not the, the sharpest tool in the shed, but. <laughs> I know. He was very gullible. <laughs> right. So how about your long-term them? I'm very curious to see how this all ties together. Okay. Years later, reports come in of a new air squadron being used by the U.S. The Pakadam Strike Force <laughs> is being used primarily in the Korean War. <laughs> the, the reports say that large armored elephants with the ability to fly are being used to attack various strongholds in the country. But, the, but then come news that the mutated elephants keep going rogue, attacking their handlers. They wreak havoc on both sides in Korea, and turns out more have escaped back in the US. Eventually they are caught on film as they approach a small town. Innocent lives are at stake. Suddenly, up in the sky, a lone flying elephant is seen, heading towards these monstrous rogue elephants. It, it flies in fast and attacks the others. It's more agile, yet equally frightening. Dumbo has returned, and this time he's getting his revenge. <laughs> and that's my after the ending for Dumbo. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, love, I love the image of flying armored elephants just, you know, going around as part of, like, the armed forces. Yeah, just to be, they just go flying, and, you know, they've got bombs and stuff on, drop them, and then they land and just, you know, blow stuff up. Right, You know, right. stomp on people, just, oh, it'd be horrific. It's like the Tuscan airmen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very nicely done. And then Dumbo comes back. Yeah, well, of course. I like mm. it. I like it. 
All okay, right, so what, cool. uh, what have you got for your long term? What happens with Dumbo and his quest for fame? All right, well, when Artie gets Dumbo away from the circus, he drugs the young elephant and knocks him out. He hides him away at the same waterfront warehouse where Timothy Mouse is being held. He then sends a ransom note to the circus, demanding $1 million for the return of their star performer. Back at the warehouse, Timothy manages to free himself from his bonds, but he's too small to get the still unconscious Dumbo out by himself. So he sneaks out of the warehouse and recruits some of his friends and family to help. He rounds up his fellow mice Jerry, Itchy, Pinky, The Brain, Speedy Gonzalez, Mr. <laughs> Jingles, Ralph S. Mouse, Mrs. Frisbee, and Chuck E. Cheese to help him free Dumbo. They return to the warehouse and quickly defeat the rodent mafia henchmen that are guarding Dumbo. They revive him and rush back to the circus just in time to catch Artie in the act of accepting payment for Dumbo's release. With his plan foiled, Artie tries to weasel out of trouble, but he's been caught red-handed and is arrested by the police. With Timothy and Dumbo reunited and Mrs. Jumbo relieved to have her son back, the circus owner agrees that Dumbo is a real star, and they all set off to Hollywood together to break into movies. And that's my after the ending. That's excellent. I do like an animated animal team-up. Yeah, right? Especially yeah. all those all those great famous mice. There are a lot of mice. Which one's Mr. Jingles? Mr. Jingles was the mouse from The Green Mile. Oh, of course, yeah. Gosh, and, I've not seen that in a long time. And I thought, hey, the timeline even actually works up on that one. Oh, actually matches it up. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so yeah. Thought I'd that could, be a, that could be a proper crossover, Stephen King and Disney. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The Green Mile and Dumbo? Come on, that's just a match made in heaven. Oh, yeah. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, Phil, why don't you go ahead and tell us if you have any trivia about Dumbo? Okay. This was, apparently, this was Walt Disney's favorite film made by his studios. Interesting. Yeah. Initially, though, he was uninterested in making it, but uh, Joe Grant and Dick Humor wrote up the film as installments, which they left on Walt's desk every morning uh, until he ran into the story department saying, this is great. What happens next? Which I, like which I quite like that. Yeah. Uh, in December 1941, Time Magazine planned to have Dumbo on its cover. To commemorate its success, but it was dropped due to the attack on Pearl Harbor. Ah, uh, yeah, I can see that. So, you know, Pearl Harbor was, you know, kind of a big deal. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it was also one of Leonard Maltin's favorite films. Hmm. He really liked the Pink Elephant sequence, which I sort of, I quite like, but I don't never, never seem to quite fit into the film. It's, it's always actually been my least favorite part of the yeah. movie. I know it's one of the, like, the more memorable images from the movie, but yeah. I, 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 I've never liked a dream sequence in a movie pretty much in the history of movies ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great piece of animation, but yeah, it's it's more something if it'd been it should have been dropped into Fantasia, something like that. Right, it, right. Or exactly. it feels like it's a segment from Fantasia, which is being slotted in. Exactly. Uh, it was also the least expensive of Disney's animated features, hmm. costing eight hundred and thirteen thousand dollars. Wow. It was also the first Walt Disney animated feature released on video. Huh. And the first Disney protagonist to have no spoken dialogue. Well, there you go. Oh yeah, and Timothy Mouse was a replacement for the Robin from the original novel. Uh, the use of a mouse was an in-joke because, you know, the, the legend is elephants are afraid of mice. Right, right. One of the things I actually like about the movie is that, you know, sort of this friendship between characters who shouldn't yeah, be yeah, friends. Yeah, But that's uh, that's Disney's Dumbo. And, there's a, and apparently there's a live-action remake in the works with Tim Burton. Well, oh, really? Yeah. I was going to say, I think we can safely assume there's a, a, re- a live-action remake of every Disney film in the works because yeah. that's clearly their, their new trend. But I know. Tim Burton's apparently going to be directing it and Danny DeVito is involved in some way. Well, Tim Burton certainly is the guy for that pink elephant sequence. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a definite. It's going to be in there. Johnny Depp's probably going to be in it at some point. As well. I would, I would imagine. So. <laughs> That'd be awesome if, like, if like Johnny Depp just shows up like in a Dumbo costume. Like that's their whole version of it. Is you know, like Tim, <laughs> yeah. Tim, Tim, uh, Tim uh, Burton and Johnny Depp just finally lose their marvels and like they they you know start filming and like footage leaks and it's Johnny Depp like in an elephant costume, you know, yeah. like, prosthetic they, elephant costume. They don't use any CGI, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'd pay the money stu- to see the that. The studios are going, Tim, Tim, can we talk about this? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, trust me, trust me. Yeah, audiences are going to love it. Yeah, um, and it's a, it's one of the first times in a while where Johnny Depp isn't doing a silly voice or, you know, any character, he's deadly serious. Right, right. Yeah, That'd be exactly. brilliant. I, I'm Dumbo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or no, he won't even talk. He will really. just That's be right. silent, yeah. That's what makes it brilliant, because he wouldn't even uh, talk. I want to see that now. Yeah, please. I do too. I do too. <laughs> Tim, if you're listening, you've got our ideas, you can call us for script notes. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, on that note, why don't we move on then and talk about a movie that is uh, pretty different from Dumbo, and it is Gravity. Yes, this is from 2013, which is, God, already that's flown by. 
Yeah, it's definitely a, it's a more recent film than we usually do, but since Gravity was such a big hit, it does seem like most people have seen it by now. So we thought it was safe to to tackle it and and have some fun with it. So if you haven't seen it, it's a really good flick. Go check it out. It is mad though. It's four years four years old. I know it's crazy, right? Wow. Yeah. It's directed by Alfonso Cuarón and stars Sandra Bullock, George Clooney, and some amazing special effects. Indeed. But a uh, quick rundown. Dr. Ryan Stone, played by Sandra Bullock, is a biomedical engineer, and she's on the Space Shuttle Explorer for her first mission. It's led by Matt Kowalski, played by George Clooney, uh, when a Russian missile strike on a defunct satellite causes a cloud of debris, which goes flying around Earth, damages the shuttle, kills the crew, but Stone survives. She manages to make it to the International Space Station, gets some stuff she needs, but then doesn't have fuel and things, so she goes to a Chinese space station and eventually finds her way back to Earth. Her capsule lands in a lake. Uh, she removes her spacesuit to get out as it fills with water, and she swims to shore, and she appears to be in the middle of nowhere. And that's gravity. Yes, I think that sums up nicely, because really it's not a movie about plot. It's about excitement and tension and special effects, and uh, it is it is a lot of fun. Oh, and it is tense. I remember seeing it in the cinema and just going, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, good survival movie. Yes, exactly. It's a good disaster film is what it is, and I yeah, love disaster yeah, films. Totally, yeah, yeah. Okay, then, but what have you got for your day after? What happens to Dr. Stone after she lands? All right, well, Ryan stands up and looks around. Although a city or town seemed to be visible from the window of her capsule as it was coming down, she can't see it from ground level. She looks around for any sign of civilization but sees nothing. She makes her way to a nearby tree and climbs it, hoping to get a better vantage point. However, the nearby scrub and brush and other trees make visibility limited, and she can't see any close-by human habitation. She heads off in what she thinks was the direction of the city she saw from the sky and continues to walk until she collapses from exhaustion. She manages to climb into another tree as the sun is setting to keep herself safe from animals and passes out. The next morning, she awakens safe from harm and continues on her journey. A few hours later, she pushes through some particularly rough brush and falls down, spilling out onto a road. She looks up and sees a giant ape wearing armor and carrying a gun. Oh, I'll, I'll just say to listeners... Mike and myself don't know what we're doing with our endings. Uh-oh. So if there's any similarities or, you know, differences, we're surprised as each other. Okay. Well, I, I think I know where this is going then, but <laughs> let's, uh, let's see. Okay, yeah. So let's see. See if you can spot where similarities are, okay? okay. It might be just subtle. They might just pass you by, but, you know, let's see. <laughs> okay. Dr. Stone waits for a NASA pickup that never comes. She's not sure what happened, but hours pass and she hears nothing. She is weak, cold and hungry. Eventually, she manages to find shelter and even manages to get a fire started. But as the sun begins to set, she hears a noise. It's horses. The sound draws closer and she feels relief that she will soon be picked up, but she can't understand why it's not a helicopter or a motor vehicle. She leaves her shelter and calls out. The four horses draw closer and she sees them. Then she sees the riders. She's in shock. They are gorillas carrying machine guns. <laughs> well, sorry, I stole your thunder there. No, it doesn't matter. It's the day after. It was bound to happen at some point where we get something quite similar. But yes. it all depends on how where does it go from here. Well, I can guarantee you it's going to go in a different play, a different direction. Damn, I was going to say the same thing as well. Yes, mine's going to go in a different direction. Yep. So there we go. So we're both at the same place, pretty much. So what happens in your immediate aftermath? All right. Well, Ryan gasps in shock, and then she realizes that she's looking at a billboard for the newest Planet of the Apes movie. <sighs> <laughs> that's what i put that is no, not. No, no. <laughs> but then she realizes that the writing is in another language she's not sure what it is but it's clearly something asian she continues along the strangely deserted road until she spies what is clearly a military checkpoint down the road a little bit cautiously she sneaks closer until she can get a better look when she spies a painted portrait atop one of the buildings she realizes where she's landed north korea oh oh i like that i didn't think of that yeah are you freaking kidding me? She says out loud. And that's where we'll leave it for now. Oh, that's good. <laughs> wow. So I got the Planet of the Apes idea, but then I didn't want to I didn't want to go with it, but I liked the idea of it, so that's why I I I threw it in there, but then I quickly yanked it back. So that's why yeah, I said I, I knew we were in different directions. Uh, that, that's cool. No, but I, I remember when I first saw the film at the end, I did think, "Wow, imagine if." Right, right. It was the apes. Well, that's what I, right. Of course, yeah. 
But no, that's uh, I like that being North Korea. Ooh, yeah, I just figured, tricky. you know, it seems like everything just kept getting worse for her. So where is she going to land? The most hostile country in the world. Yeah, and it's perf- it's perfectly feasible. The way she came down, she could have landed anywhere. So. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. All right, but I'm curious to see where things go on your eight planet, assuming that that's what it really is. So take us away into your immediate aftermath. Okay, well, uh, Dr. Rhinestone is in shock, and she thinks she is sure she is hallucinating as the gorillas throw a net over her and drag her away. They shout to her, and she realizes she can understand what they are saying. But they take her to camp, and Stone sees more apes, chimpanzees, orangutans, lots of different types, all walking around. They're clothed. There seems to be society. They have houses. And she is totally freaked, freaked out by it all. Even more freaked out when she sees cages full of humans. She's thrown in with the humans, and she feels, with the shock of getting to Earth safely and then seeing all this, she finds it hard staying conscious. But she calls for help, but the other humans just stare at her. However, a woman pushes her way through and approaches Dr. Stone and offers her food and water. Sit down and drink, says the woman. Dr. Stone hugs the woman. She's made up to have some kindness and to actually speak to somebody who listened to her. The woman introduces herself as Trillian, and she motions the two men to come over and help. The names are Finnegan and Joey. Dr. Stone loses consciousness and sleeps. And that, that's my immediate aftermath. Hmm, very interesting. Those names sound familiar to me. Let's see if it, how it plays out. I'll see if I can put it all together. Well, yeah, it's a bit, might be a bit tricky, this one, because the names, the names of the characters aren't that particularly well-known, but it's a nice little uh, movie. That I'm hinting at there, but right. there we go. So what's happened now with the long term then? What's happening to Dr. Stone in North Korea? All right. Well, with the bullet wound in her arm bleeding profusely, Ryan bursts across the border into South Korea with just seconds to spare before the North Korean reinforcements arrive. She looks back at the checkpoint. The roaring flames are shooting up 20 feet in the air, and it's barely recognizable as a building anymore. The unconscious <laughs> bodies of the border guards lie prone around the outskirts of the burning building. As the South Korean guards rush up to meet her, Ryan collapses. She wakes up in a hospital and finds a representative from the U.S. Embassy by her bedside. Congratulations, Miss Stone. You survived one hell of an ordeal, the man says to her. You ready to go home? I never want to leave dry ground again, Ryan replies. They share a laugh, and Ryan looks out the window up into the sky. She thinks fondly of Commander Kowalski and how he helped her survive. She smiles, then sits back, takes a deep breath, and for the first time in days, can finally relax. And that's the end. Oh, I was waiting for an alien invasion or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. Just cut into her escaping from North Korea. Yeah, well, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have. You know, I, I didn't think I could do it justice to what she went through in the movie by trying to detail it all. But I did like the idea of just like a whole nother situation that she had to like basically yeah. kick the crap out of to, to survive. Yeah, and, and big explosions and stuff and things like that. Right, yeah. right, exactly. good stuff. I like it. Thank you. All right, I'm curious to see how yours wraps up. So, uh, so let's let's hear your long term. Okay, Dr. Stone gradually gets her strength back, but it takes time as the humans are used by the apes to grow food, build houses and more. But she manages to eat, drink, and she, she's given you know easy jobs to begin with. She learns that Finnegan, Joey and Trillian had escaped from the Argonautica, a luxury cruise liner that had been attacked by a large squid-like creature. They'd ended up escaping on jet skis and ended up on an island and been captured by the apes. All the other humans seemed unable to speak and were very docile. They, they weren't sure what was going on and why this was happening. However, they had a plan to escape, and when Dr. Stone was strong enough, they make their move. They broke out at night and managed to get away before the alarm goes up. The chase is on, but they eventually find a cave. They make it inside, and with no other options, they head deeper. But the apes are close behind them the whole way. The deeper they go into the cave, the colder it gets and the darker it gets, but eventually they see a glow ahead. Moving closer, they see a strange glowing portal. The apes almost capture them. They have no other choice, and they leap through the portal. After what seems like hours, they come out the other side, What Dr. Stone sees makes even less sense than the apes. She sees what appear to be walking skeletons who are fighting a man. He seems outnumbered but keeps laughing while he kills the undead creatures with his chainsaw and shotgun. (laughs) The the man sees Dr. Stone and the others and smiles. Nice of you to join me, he calls. Now pick up a weapon and lend a hand. We can make small talk and hug it out later. (laughs) Dr. Stone picks up a sword and prepares for battle. Very nice. I like it. A little nice, uh, some some good mashups going on there. Well, yeah, because I had the Deep Rising. They were Finnegan, Joey, and Trillian from the. Uh, gotcha. Right. Right. Yeah, which uh, a film I always have very fond of. Big monster I, movie I, on it. Then, yeah. Likewise, a good good yeah. fun film. And then I thought, you know, if you're going to have people end up in bizarre situations, it's always good to have Ash, right, you know, to help lend a hand. Right. Absolutely. And I just thought, I like you. I was thinking, 
well, for Dr. Stone, it's just going to get worse and worse. Right, exactly. Yeah, it does seem like that's kind of where you have to go, I think, after the end of that movie. But that's uh, that's my ending. Very cool. (laughs) I like it. Lots of fun. Thank you. All right. How about some trivia? There must be some interesting tidbits about gravity. Uh, Ed Harris was the voice of Mission Control, which is quite nice because he did. Uh, he was in, you know, Apollo thirteen. Yeah, and the right Gene Kranz. Yeah. Uh, the opening scene was a single continuous shot, which was twelve and a half minutes long. Wow. Uh, the film is ninety minutes long in total. The International Space Station travels at seventeen thousand five hundred miles per hour, and it orbits Earth every ninety minutes. Well, take that, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 80% of the film was CG, wow. which is uh, quite funny when compared to Avatar, because Avatar was only 60% CG. Wow, that's crazy. Which I found crazy. And uh, I only found this out, well, way after having seen the film originally, uh, but it was filmed at Lake Powell, Arizona, which was the same lake used for Taylor's crash in 1968, Planet of the Apes. Oh, that's cool. So I didn't know no that. no wonder we had that... Uh, Thing at the back of our heads. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a nice little thing. But that is gravity. Very cool. All right. So those are our endings for Dumbo and gravity. Moving on, it is time to jump into our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein Phil and I share our top 10 films of a particular year. And this week, Phil, we are talking about 1951. So why don't you climb into, speaking of Taylor and and traveling through time for apes, why don't you climb into your time machine and tell us what was happening back in 1951? Okay. 1951, we had the UK Prime Minister was Clement Attlee. But that was a bit of a changeover. I think it was October when Winston Churchill took the reins once again. Uh, the U.S. president with Harry S. Truman and the Korean War was uh, was happening at the time. That was one of the big events going on. Uh, nuclear testing at Nevada began. The 22nd Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which limits presidents to two terms, was introduced. I can't see how that uh, that amendment could have any relevance in today's society. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know it does make me laugh though when people say you can't change, you know, the U.S. Constitution, and you right. go, "Well, there's all these amendments, right? Can, right. You know. They changed it twenty something times, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, it has been known, <laughs> right? Yes, I believe it was the uh, I believe it was the twenty ninth amendment that says that apes shall not harm ape. Wasn't that when that when that happened? <laughs> that, that was the one. That was one of my favorites. that was introduced. Right, right. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> what else was there? Was there? Well, yeah, it was also the. Yeah, when the first NBA All-Star Game of Basketball was played. Cool. Uh, Roger and Hammerstein's The King and I opened on Broadway. Uh, Remington Rand delivered the first Univac 1 computer to the U.S. Census Bureau. Hmm. Uh, the Goon Show was first broadcast on the BBC Home Service, which was... Uh, oh, uh, the Goon Show was uh, the radio show which featured Peter Sellers, Spike Milligan, and Harry Seacombe. So, you know, some comedy greats in there. Uh, J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye was first published in the U.S., Cool. So before then, there was, you know, no conspiracy theories and things like that. <laughs> right. Because uh, the first Volkswagen Beetle rolled off the the construction plant in South Africa. Uh, there was also the shot heard around the world, which if you're a baseball fan, that will make sense. But for people like me, it was when New York Giants' Bobby Thompson hit a game-winning home run from the bottom of the ninth. So uh, I know bottom of the ninth kind of thing, so I, I, I think that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Uh, I, Love, I Love Lucy debuted on CBS. And the first experimental nuclear power plant opened in Idaho. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, 1951. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, nuclear and all that stuff. Yeah. And Idaho. Yeah. I didn't know there's anything in Idaho. <laughs> no offense to our Idahoian <laughs> listeners. I just don't I don't really know much about Idaho, so Well luckily there was uh, you know no explosion, so Idaho's still there. Right, right, exactly. I mean at least we think <laughs> we think it's still there. <laughs> unless unless it's all a government cover up. Oh, man in black, maybe, flying elephants. Maybe Idaho is where the flying elephants are kept. That's it. See that? All those muti- mutated animals. That's where the apes are going to come from. See that? Conspiracy theories right there. Wow. Mm-hmm. 1951 also had some cool film debuts. We saw the first big screen appearance of the following. Jeff Bridges, Charles Bronson, John Cassavetes, James Dean, Audrey Hepburn, Grace Kelly... Rod Steiger, Leonard Nimoy, and William Shatner. Wow, that's a pretty uh, pretty impressive list. I know. Yeah, I know it's and it's mad. Some of them are still going. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I find it mad. Uh, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner, right? Debuted the same year. Yeah, yeah, they had very parallel careers actually in a lot of ways. It's yeah. interesting. Very cool. 
Okay, well, that was, that's 1951. All right, great. Well, let's jump into the films then. Phil, why don't you kick us off? Share your number 10. Okay, well, this one, it was, uh, well, this one, it was out in 1951 in the US and the UK, but I think it might have been out in Sweden and a few other places the year before, but I'm going to, it's going to fit in anyway. It's a documentary called Kontiki, mm-hmm. a Norwegian-Swedish film about the Kontiki expedition led by a Norwegian, Norwegian explorer and writer Thor Heyerdahl in 1947. Yeah, it's all about the theory he had to show that uh, Polynesia had been settled by people migrating from the West. You know, they basically built these crazy little rafts and they just come across the uh, the ocean to land in new uh, islands. But it's uh, they actually did it to prove it could be done. And this was a documentary showing what they went through to do it. So it's a absolutely fascinating, hell of a thing to do. But they did it and survived. Yes, it is. It's a fascinating story. And um, it didn't make my list only because I couldn't remember if I've actually seen it or not. I think I have. Ah, okay, yeah. But that I do want to see it. It's a good It's a good choice for sure. Yeah. Oh, thank you. What, what have you got then for your number 10? Well, my number 10 is, uh, I think, a subject matter that's that's very close, uh, almost equally as, as monumental, I think. And it is Superman and the Mole Men. Yes, that's a good point. That's another <laughs> documentary, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, and uh, so this was a, a – I'm not you know I'm not entirely sure the history of this. It's got George Reeves in it. Uh, it is listed as a film. I think maybe it was meant to be serials. They cobbled it together. I'm not sure how it all breaks down. But I, I, it's a pure nostalgia pick for me. Um, I, I love the George Reeves Superman movie uh, show when I was a kid. Uh, I have seen this Mole Men movie. Um, and so, like I said, it's sort of just a nostalgia pick. Not exactly cinematic genius. And and not the best of that era of Superman, but yeah, no, I think uh, I saw I saw that it was around, but I, I know I'd seen bits and pieces of the George Reeves Superman things, but I couldn't recall seeing that particular storyline or you know the film or whatever. But uh, no, it's a good pick. Thank you. Okay, well, my number nine is uh, Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. Oh wow! I think that's the first time one of the Abbott and Costello films has made it on your list. Usually they're on they're on mine, but I think that's the first time you've listed one, isn't it? Yeah, well, often they're bubbling under, but you know, there's other ones which sort of push push them down a little bit more. But uh, I, I do like the ones where the the uh, meets the, the various Universal monsters. Right. Uh, this one was directed by Charles Lamont, and it has them meeting the Invisible Man. Yeah. Yeah, but it's the usual, you know, Abbott and Costello doing their you know back and forth comedy repartee. With the Invisible Man, so there's lots of potential for for good laughs, and it is a. I mean, I always, I found a, there's a video shop. Well, it's a DVD shop now up the road for me, and they've got all the old Abbott and Costello monster movies. So I, I need to get them out and watch them with my daughter because yeah. I know she'll like them. She she loves all that uh, kind of humour. So yeah, those are fun for sure. Yeah, be good to watch again. But that's my number nine. Very cool. Well, my number nine is Death of a Salesman, starring Frederick March. Uh, probably less famous than the Dustin Hoffman version. I think everyone considers Dustin Hoffman sort of the, uh, you know, the the archetypal, you know, Willie Loman. Uh, but I always liked Frederick March. He was one of those those classic actors who was always a great supporting actor and a good lead actor, but never quite as famous, or at least not his fame didn't have the longevity of people like a you know Cary Grant or Clark Gable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I always enjoyed him, and so uh, this was a, a, an early version version of Death of a Salesman. Not my favorite version, but I certainly do enjoy it. And I, I do think that March's performance is quite good. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to have to hold my hand up and say I've never seen any version of a Death of a Salesman. Really? Salesman. So yeah, I know. Interesting. I it's, know I need to get that scene. It's, I, know I mean, about it's definitely it. one you should see. It is a good... It's a good play, and it's made some good movies, but it is also kind of depressing. So it's it's tough to be like, oh, man, you got to watch it because it yeah, is one of those yeah. movies you're going to watch and then go, well, that's sad, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, I fully – I mean, I know the basic gist of it, but uh, – and I do like, you know, good plays and good films. Right. And I'm surprised I've never seen it. I don't know why I've never actually seen it, any yeah, of well, them. It happens to everyone. There's those films you just don't get around to, you know. Yeah. But uh, it can go on the list. There you go. Okay. My number eight is Scrooge. Well, one of the many various adaptations of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. This one stars Alistair Sim as Ebenezer Scrooge and was directed by Brian Desmond Hurst. I, I think over in the US it was, it was released as A Christmas Carol. But you know the story, you know, Scrooge visited by three spirits. Uh, this is just one of the classic ones. I've seen it many times from when I was a kid to being an adult. Uh, Alistair Sims is brilliant as Scrooge. It's just, this is one of the classic adaptations of it and it works so well. And I, I love it. Yes, yes, I agree. It is it is a great film. Good choice. Well, my number eight has already appeared on your list. Any guesses what it might be? Ooh, is it Abbott and Costello? 
It is Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible <laughs> Man. Uh, no surprise. I think this is the third time now maybe one of the Abbott and Costello films with the monsters has shown up on my list. Yeah. Uh, as I've said before, I'm a, I'm a huge Abbott and Costello fan. I loved when they teamed up with the Universal Monsters, and this one's a lot of fun. So that's my number eight. No big surprise. Yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, it's what I like about them is the fact it was you know a comedy duo meeting up with the monsters. Uh, I'd love for something to, like that to happen nowadays, but it would end up being. Uh, they do what they seem to do with all the old things we used to like as kids, turn them into like full of adult humor, you know, with uh, various sex jokes and things like that. Right. I think and, the closest uh, that we've seen in recent years would be The the Mummy with Brendan Fraser, the first one, which I thought struck a really good balance yeah, between, yeah. you know, the monster side of things and the humor side of things, you know. Yeah, because I, I thought that was a great film. Yeah, you're oh, right. Yeah. But uh, but it's, yeah. that's been a long time since that came out. Yeah, we still have to wait and see what the new version of The Mummy is going to be like. Right, which looks one. cool, but not very humorous. <laughs> no, I don't think it's going to be a laugh a minute, that one. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> My number seven is The Lavender Hill Mob, which uh, stars Alec Guinness, uh, Stanley Holloway, Sid James, and I think an, an early appearance by Audrey Hepburn. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, 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 she's in it, yeah. But it's about uh, Henry Holland, who's played by Alec Guinness. He's playing a, a bank clerk in London who's in charge of gold bullion deliveries for the past 20 years, but then he's uh, he comes up with a plan to steal the, the gold and get away with it. It was an Ealing comedy, by the way, but it's great. It's got some great performances. It's great actors. It's very funny. And it's uh, those Ealing comedies, they just seem to, they just, they got the balance just right. And it's, uh, you can, you know, some, you know, things, people are going to get caught. Things are going to go wrong. So you're just waiting to see how and why. But it's a, it's a joy to watch. Always a good one to put on, usually on a Sunday afternoon. Sure. I, I have to admit, I have not seen that one. I am, I am. You know, it's not a film that I think is as famous over here as it is in the U.S. The whole Ealing Comedies thing I, largely passed me by. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it did get on my radar a few years ago, and I have been meaning to watch it because I have heard very, very good things about it. Uh, and now I've heard one more from you, uh, but I just haven't gotten <laughs> around to it yet. So it is going on my list for sure. Oh, definitely worth a watch. So what have you got for your number seven? All right. Well, my number seven is sort of a tie-in to one of our After the Endings in a way, and it is Alice in Wonderland, the Disney classic. Uh, and the way it ties into Dumbo is also not one of my favorite Disney films. It's a little trippy for me. Um, yeah. But much like Dumbo, there are parts of it that I think are really cool, and there are moments in it that I really do enjoy, even if the film as a whole isn't my favorite. So it makes it on my list. It is a Disney classic. It has some really indelible imagery in it, but it's not one of my favorite Disney films, which is why it didn't make it higher on the list. No, fair enough. Yeah, it uh, didn't make my list at all because I've never been that big a fan of the Alice in Wonderland story. Yeah, I can understand that. It's definitely not one that I, I you know, I generally love in other formats either. Yeah, but uh, no, it's always, I, I knew it would get on your list though because, you know, it's Disney and it's got to get on there. Right. <laughs> I have left off one or two, but it doesn't happen often. Let's be let's be honest. <laughs> I will say though that the, the Disney Alice in Wonderland. I mean, you can't fault the uh, the character design and the animation. It did have some uh, great. I mean, the, the Cheshire Cat. I always thought that was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I think it makes it on the list for me, yeah. even though I don't love it. Is like I said, that's a really you know, it, it looks great. The character design, you know, the animation is all brilliant. It's just not a story I'm, I'm big into. That's cool. Okay, my number six is another reeling comedy, uh, but it's called The Man in the White Suit, and it again stars Alec Guinness. Uh, he plays uh, a research chemist who develops a new fiber which repels dirt and never wears out, and he makes a suit which is brilliant white, hence the title, uh, but it's it's white because it cannot absorb dye. Uh, he's, people say he's a genius, but then the uh, the trade unions and the factories realize you know, it's a bit of a problem because once people have bought the, you know, for this cloth, you know, there'll be no more demand for it because it doesn't wear out. So it's uh, it's basically about the common man or, you know, this this guy, you know, trying to be brought down by, you know, big business. But it's a comedy. It's funny. And uh, it's quite a cool little concept as well. Yeah, actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I've never really heard of that film before, but it sounds terrific. I definitely want to check that out now. I like that idea. Yeah, it is. It's, it is. I suppose it's almost like a science fiction kind of idea as well. But it's, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a good one. I mean, Alec Guinness is always good. And it's this one is quite... I suppose it's quite different as well from some of the other comedies of the time. Yeah, it sounds like it. Must have been a nightmare to shoot, though. Like, they must have had 50 suits on hand because, you know, it's like, oh, I, I you know, yeah. I got a smudge, yeah. new yeah. suit. Alex, you know, stop, eat, yeah, stop eating the chocolate, Alex. <laughs> right, exactly. Who ordered but, spaghetti but, for lunch? I know, but it's also, the, uh, the suit also glows a bit because it's got, like, radioactive elements in it. Because ah. you know, ba back then, you know, radiation, what's that going to do to you? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, How could that but, go wrong? But it has good scenes at the end when he's uh, he's running through the streets at night being chased by... Uh, 
various people. Oh, that's cool. I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Excellent. All right, well, my number six is another movie that's appeared on your list, and it is A Christmas Carol or Scrooge, depending on where you watched it. Uh, and like you said, it's a great film. It's really one of the classic versions of A Christmas Carol, uh, and it's, I think, the one I watched the most growing up as a kid. It was on TV all the time, and so when I think of the kind of classic Scrooge storyline, that's the the kind of imagery that pops into my head. Yeah, you're right. That's it. It is the one, the Scrooge film, where you think about it, that's the one. Right, right, exactly. Okay, my number five is the sci-fi film When Worlds Collide. Cool. Where it's basically uh, a bit like Melancholia, but a bit happier. Uh, there's a, another planet which is going to collide with Earth, and basically hu- humanity is trying to build a space arc that will save and get you know some humanity off uh, so they can land on the Earth-like moon of this planet, which is going to destroy our Earth. And it's uh, it's big disaster movie, uh, but it's done well. You see following these people back. I mean, it's just... I, the sci-fi films from like the fifties, I always think work really well because it's just it seems they seem more real, even when the if the effects aren't that good, they just seem to have this kind of realness to it, which uh, isn't always captured nowadays. Right, right. You get the feeling, you know, you're seeing people who would, you know, in these situations, some of them deal with it, okay, some don't, but it's it just, I don't know what it is. It's probably even though sometimes you're watching it and the performances can be a bit over the top, you know, and but it still has this this kind of real quality to it, which sometimes, you know, is lacking in today's films. Sure, sure. Yeah. Amazingly, I've never seen that one, even though I love disaster movies and I love the old science fiction movies. But that is one that I am going to have to check out. I am, I've heard of it, never seen yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, just for the record, though, every movie is at least a little bit happier than Melancholia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's very true. Yeah. All right. Well, my number five is a movie called The Enforcer, starring Humphrey Bogart, and it is a film noir that deals with uh, a DA and a, a witness going missing and, and, a, and a, a really bad criminal. Um, and not a too heavy of a plot movie, so I don't want to go into it too much, but it's, uh, as we all know, I'm a big Humphrey Bogart fan. Uh, it is a, a nice, short, taut movie. It's not long and drawn out. It's kind of, I think it's less than an hour and a half. It just kind of starts, goes, bang, 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 and then it's over, and it, and it you know wraps up quickly. And it's just a film, I only discovered it a couple of years ago for the first time, there's a Blu-ray edition of it out that has just the most amazing cover art that I, I think might have been the original poster, uh, and I would kill to get it in poster form because it's beautiful. But uh, that's what attracted me to it, that and, of course, Humphrey Bogart being in it, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So that's my number five. I saw that on the films from the year when I was trying to do my list, and I I, I don't think I'd either heard of it. I'm surprised. Yeah, it's not one of his more famous films yeah. for sure. But I, I, lo- I like the sound of it, and as you say, I saw the poster or the the cover for it. It's a, it's a great uh, great cover. It really is. But, uh, so I'll definitely have to get that one checked out. Yeah, it's a, like I said, it's a quick watch, but it's it's worth watching. It's nothing nothing groundbreaking. It's nothing you know that's gonna you know blow you away. But it's a very enjoyable kind of film noir, and and so that's it's worth it for that. Cool. Okay. Well, my number my number four is a Hitchcock film, which I think will probably be on your list at some point. But it's Strangers on a Train, uh, based on the 1950 novel by Patricia Highsmith. It's the one where two strangers meet on a train. You don't say. Yeah, no. <laughs> you bet you didn't see that coming. I did, I did not get that from the title. I realized as I was saying that, I was going, well, this is going to be a redundant sentence. <laughs> but it's uh, one of them's a, a tennis player. The other one's a bit of a psycho. And they suggest that they, they each want to get rid of someone so they should swap and kill the other one. And then obviously the, the tennis player thought they were just having a chat, but that wasn't the case for the other guy. But it's uh, it's been made a couple of more times. But this is a uh, this was an Alfred Hitchcock one, and it's very very good. You know, and it would be on my list, but it's actually one of the Hitchcock films I have not gotten around to yet. Ah, okay. And I've always wanted to see it because I love the concept of it. And actually, it's got Farley Granger in it, who I believe was also in Rope, which is another Hitchcock film that I adore. Uh, And I actually, yeah, yeah, I liked his performance in that movie a lot, even though he wasn't one of the, uh, he's not one of the more famous actors at the time. Uh, And somehow I just haven't gotten around to seeing. Strangers on a Train yet. I think I own it in like three different box sets, but I still haven't watched it yet. So yeah. uh, I need to do that. No, it's a very good one. Well, it's it's one of the – it's from uh, Hitchcock's golden period, wasn't it, really, when he was yeah, doing all, yeah, exactly. all the good stuff. Exactly. Well, even, even his bad stuff was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It, it's true. Yeah. All right. Well, my number four is a movie uh, which is it ties in actually, since this big winter storm that we just had here in my neck of the woods uh, was Winter Storm Stella, and this is the mm-hmm. movie that you might know for Stella. 
<laughs> and that, of course, is A Streetcar yeah, Named Desire, yeah. starring Marlon Brando and Vivian Lee, of course, based on Tennessee Williams' famous play. Uh, I've always depended upon the kindness of strangers. You know, it's just really <laughs> such an iconic uh, play. It's, it's heavy. It's dark. It's not a cheerful film, but it is, of course, one of Marlon Brando's signature roles as Stanley Kowalski. Uh, and I just think it, it really is a great film. You have to be in the mood to watch it, but there's no denying that the performances are amazing and, you know, the film is intense and it's it's so just it was such a gut punch to watch it. So while it's not the kind of movie that I watch over and over again or that I recommend like on a Friday night with a bunch of popcorn and friends, it is a, a piece of cinema history that I think is worth watching. Well, I, I totally, totally agree with everything you say, but it didn't make my list because of everything you said, really. Because the same thing. <laughs> no, I get uh, it. I get it. It's a hard yeah. film to watch. Yeah, it's, it's never been one of my favorite stories. But uh, as you say, it's, uh, it's supremely well acted, this film. You can see, you know, why. Brando was became a legend, right? Right, and this is one of the reasons why. But it's, uh, yeah, it's never been my go-to movie, but totally sure. understandable. You know, it's one of those films which is brilliant, but it's not going to be on. It's not not always going to be your favourite. Absolutely. Okay, well, we're not top three now. I think yes. My number three is one which uh, is a sci-fi horror, and it's the thing from another world. Good choice. Yes, which based on who goes there, and I believe John Carpenter made a film based on it as well i can't think what it was called yeah it's funny because I, I i thought that was a film that you liked at least a little bit but maybe maybe i'm uh, mistaken yeah. yeah no i thought it was it could be my favorite film of all time right that's you know yeah. that does sound familiar now that you mention it but this is the thing from another world i'm not sure whether it's it's not the best one of the old sci-fi horror films but it's got it does have the good atmosphere of being you know stuck on the uh stuck in this place you can't escape from and there's something out there obviously the thing in this version is nowhere near as good as Rob Bottin's creature effects in this. Basically, it's just a big man. Because I think it's, uh, what is it? In the original one, it's sort of, the it's thing like is... plant-based or something. Yeah, that's it. And it sort of grows. But it's still good. And I mean, the uh, the bits when it's, you see them measuring out in the snow. It's like iconic scenes. And then they know something's out there and it's killing them. And then there's the big uh, electrocution thing at the end, where I think the stuntman almost got caught on fire or something when it was going on. But uh, it's a great story. It's not the best sci-fi horror film of its time but it's just i've got a real soft spot for it brought us john carpenter's the thing which i'll be ever grateful for there you go well i think our top three may have some similarities phil because my <laughs> number three is also the thing from another world hey i thought it'd be on your list yeah, yeah for all the reasons you just said like you said it's not the greatest science fiction film of the, of the era but it is really moody and atmospheric and it did lead to john carpenter's which is also one of my favorite movies of all time yeah um and it is just a, it's just a cool kind of suspenseful film and it was different from a lot of the movies that were made back then that were more about you know sort of the the cheesy flying saucers and stuff so this one is cool for just doing a kind of a different take on the the alien storyline so i i'm a big fan as well definitely okay then so uh my number two yes it's uh the african queen uh-huh directed by john houston based on the 1935 novel of the same name by c.s forrester and it stars humphrey bogart Catherine hepburn and robert morley and it's uh basically about sister rose Catherine hepburn she basically needs her to get up the river uh to get uh, supplies to a, a village and she, so she has a tramp steamer named the African Queen, helmed by Humphrey Bogart. And it's it basically just a, just the two of them on a boat, and it's great. Yeah, it doesn't sound like the most exciting plot when you <laughs> no. put it that way, but it is a really great movie. In fact, it is also my number two, so I agree with everything that you just said, although I, I think we could make it sound more exciting, but it is Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn in a boat. It's sort of a, not a survival tale, but it's sort of like two people up against hardship, you know, uh, in unfriendly waters, in this rundown boat that may yeah. or may not make it through the night, uh, and it's just terrific. Humphrey Bogart won his only Oscar, his only acting Oscar ever for it, well-deserved. Uh, John Huston's an amazing director, and, and Catherine Hepburn's been known to turn in a good performance or two in her career yeah so uh you know it's just it's one of my favorite movies that i, I really do love it um and it's you know as as we know i'm a huge humphrey bogart fan i've already even mentioned that in this list uh so yeah, obviously yeah. this is going to be on my list and it is my number two also yeah because it's because uh, it's also it's like survival film it's an action movie because you know they're going up against you know they've got to get through very they've got to sneak around a bit in this old boat which has got to keep going you've got the whole of because she's a missionary he's a drunk 
So you've got the whole, you know, odd couple thing going on. Right. It's, it's, it's quite a few different genres of films all mashed up into this one thing, and it just works beautifully. Exactly. And that's what I love yeah. about it so much. It is exactly that. You know, you can't just put it into one category. Well, that leads me to believe, Phil, that we might be in sync for our number one also, which I think would mark the first time we've had our top three films the same. I don't think we've ever had that many in a row, all three top films. But we'll wait and see until you reveal your pick. So why don't you go ahead and give us your number one? Yeah. Okay, my number one is Klaatu Varadiniktu, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Army of Darkness? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes, The Day Klaatu the Earth Stood Still. <laughs> <laughs> the Day the Earth Stood Still, one of the best sci-fi films of all time. I agree with you wholeheartedly. It is also my number one pick. So clearly 1951 was a film that spoke, <laughs> was a year that spoke to both of our sensibilities. Yeah, if we, we ever end up in 1951 together, we know we're going to be okay going to pictures. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, in fact, and we talked about, we did an after the ending for The Day the Earth Stood Still. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, we did the after the ending for that back in episode 32, where we paired that one up with Happy Gilmore. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> of course, a natural, a natural yeah. combo there. You think of one, you think of the other. Right. <laughs> but it is a, a very beloved science fiction film, and we've talked about it, how, how good it is. If you've only ever seen the Keanu Reeves remake, please do not let that color your opinion of it. Go back and watch the original. It, it really is fantastic. Yeah, because, I mean, it's got, it's got Gorth, who's one of the iconic robots of all time, and it is just a man in a silver suit, but it still works. Oh, yeah. It's really good. And uh, Michael Rennie as uh, Klaatu is just otherworldly. He basically wanted to come to our Earth. And, you know, tell people to, you know, you want to land, just go, will you please just stop? <laughs> right. And it's one of those, it's the best kind of movie with a message because it does have a very strong message to it, but it fits in the framework of the film. It never feels like, hey, here's a movie that was made to deliver a message. It feels like, hey, here's a great science fiction movie. And, oh, maybe I should stop and think about what they were talking about in it. You know, and that's to me the best way to really deliver a message. And, and this film pulls it off quite well, I think. Yeah, and the message is, of course, have a pocket full of diamonds and, you know, you can get anywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's part of the message. I think maybe, Phil, oh, you maybe no. you missed the sort of the larger, you know, the Did larger message, message at work here. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Maybe is a the message Is the message, uh, if you have an eight-foot-tall robot that can destroy the Earth, you're going to get the girl? <laughs> that That's, uh, I mean, maybe you, I can see how you could take that from it. But, I, I, again, I think there's maybe more to it than that. So maybe you need to revisit it and go dig a little deeper. I think I'm missing this message. Here. <laughs> no, 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 it's uh, no. I just say it. Yeah, brilliantly put. It does have this message, but it it, it does it really well, uh, and it's also really enjoyable. Indeed, it is. All right. Well, on that note, that's going to wrap up our top 10 films of 1951. Uh, like I said, we were in sync on our top three films, so I, I feel good about that. Uh, and uh, that's going to start to bring us to a close. So, Phil, why don't you tell people what they can look forward to next week? OK, uh, next week we'll be doing the top 10 films of 1999. There's some uh, lots of good movies there. Well, lots of bad good movies as well. So it should be an interesting list. See where it goes. Yes. Yes, for sure. And we'll be going after the ending of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery and Al Pacino, Robert De Niro team up in the aftermath of Heat. Yes, that should be a lot of fun. Mm. I haven't done a lot of Pacino and De Niro, so it'll be fun to kind of dig into that and see what we can come up with. Mm, yes, I look forward to seeing what you have to say about them. Likewise. And you're having a quick look at 1999. There's some, uh, I have a feeling we might have some similarities in our top five. It, it does seem it does seem likely just based on what I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. All right. Well, on that note, then it is time to wrap things up. As always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. The radio show which had Pete Sellers. Uh, uh, crap. It had Peter Sellers crap? Yeah, yeah. So. That doesn't sound like it'd make for very entertaining radio. Just half an hour, Peter Sellers on the toilet. No, it was... Uh... <laughs> that sounds like the worst show ever. Yeah, but bootlegs have a go for fortune. Yeah. <laughs> Is the Lavender Hill Squad... No, the Lavender Hill Mob, sorry. <laughs> he was a bank clerk and he... he a bank what now? A bank clerk. Bank clerk. Thank you. Oh, yeah, bank clerk, yeah. <laughs> I was like, a bank clerk? What is that, like a guy named Clark who works in a bank? <laughs> All right, well, mine, sorry, I didn't, I was just, I don't know, because I didn't need you to lead me in there, but I sort of just let it die, and, you know, so top, <laughs> top-notch podcasting here tonight. Uh, in I know, fact, sorry, go ahead. Go on. 
Men Never då, på. in fact. <laughs> Indeed, likewise. Hold on. And nobody has anything to say. Okay. I just, want, I just want really try my phone. <laughs>